Welcome to Friendship with God. Today, Tom Cantor will continue teaching us from Genesis chapter 7 on how God's covenants are created with no input from man and how God's covenants are proclamations of how God has chosen to show His grace or His riches at His expense to mankind. Now you can download this message for free at friendshipwithgod.org, also available on iTunes.com by searching for the Friendship with God podcast and sermonaudio.com. Now are you enjoying Friendship with God with Tom Cantor as you're driving or downloading these messages for free on the go? Well, you can contact Tom Cantor and let him know how much you enjoy Friendship with God and this Bible teaching radio program. You can send him an email at tomcantor.com at friendshipwithgod.org. That's Tom, T-O-M, and Cantor, C-A-N-T-O-R. Tom Cantor, one word, at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or you can write him at P.O. Box 711-330. That's P.O. Box 711-330, Santee, California. That's S-A-N-T-E-E, Santee, California, 92071. So again, P.O. Box 711-330, Santee, California, 92071. Or you can call us for more information at 800-247-3051. Now here's Tom Cantor, our Bible teacher. Understand them or not, they stand because of God alone. So sometimes it's very, very difficult for us in our nature to accept this concept of God alone. And sometimes when we start to overestimate, overvalue ourselves, then we need to go to a special clinic. It's the God Alone Clinic. Okay? And we need to take a special course called the God Alone Clinic course. Because it's better to go to this God Alone Clinic course, better to go through that, because what happens before you die? In either case, whether you go through the God Alone Clinic course or you die, God will cut us down to size. He'll cut us down to size. Have you ever wondered why believers have to go through the judgment seat of Christ where it says we will suffer loss? What's heaven? Why do we suffer? I mean, the Lord is drying our tears, but suffer loss? Heaven's so wonderful. Why do we have to suffer loss? Because one way or another, pride in us is going to be dealt with. And if a person chooses not to go through the God alone clinic course then God will, at the judgment seat of Christ, cut us down to size. Because if we don't get cut down to size, then heaven's not going to be a good place. So, the God Alone Clinic course is found in the book of Job. And the reason it's in the book of Job is because God had to take Job through the God Alone Clinic course. And so we have it there. And it spans over four chapters. And it starts, and if you want to turn, and we're not going to look at all of them, but if you want to turn to Job chapter 38.1, that's where it starts. So, first of all, when you want to go through this course, as God was taking Job to the course, as a preparation. You have to prepare for the course. And so God says to Job in verse 3 of Job 38.3, he says, Gird up now thy loins like a man, for I will demand of thee and answer thou me. So that's basically God saying, are you ready? Are you ready to go through the God Alone Clinic course? And then it starts, and it goes on and on, and it's a rough course. It says, he starts off with, Where wast thou when I laid the foundations of the earth? Declare, if thou hast understanding. Who hath laid the measures thereof, if thou knowest? Who stretches out the line upon it? It's all these questions. Whereupon are the foundations thereof fastened? Question mark. Who laid the cornerstone thereof? 
when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy, question mark. Who shut up the sea with doors when it break forth as if it issued out of the womb, question mark. When I made the cloud, the garment thereof, and thick darkness a swaddling band for it, and break up for it my decreed place, and set bars and doors, and said, Hitherto shalt thou come, but no further, and here shall thy pride waves be staved, question mark. Hast thou commanded the morning since thy days, and caused the day spring to know its place, that it might take hold of the ends of the earth, that the wicked might be shaken out of it? So you can see, you know, Job, he's like getting one question after another. It's a rough course. And he's sitting there thinking about, you know, all these things that God is pelting Job with, these questions. And then in verse 17, he says, Have the gates of death opened unto thee? Or hast thou seen the doors of the shadow of death? Hast thou perceived the breath of the earth? Declare, if thou knowest it all. See, once in a while, God peppers into the course. These Say something, Job. Say something, if you know anything. In verse 19, where is the way where light dwelleth? Question mark. It's for darkness. There is the place thereof that thou shouldst take the bond. Well, it goes on and on. It's a very rough course. It's long. In the middle of the God Alone Clinic course, in Job chapter 40, verses 3 and 4, finally, Job, you know, kind of surfaces out of the water, so to speak, and he says something. And what does he say? In Job 40, verses 3 and 4, Job answers the Lord and said, Behold, I am vile. <laughs> so that's being successful, see? Now he's doing very well in the clinic course. And he says, I am vile, and what shall I answer thee? I will lay mine hand upon my mouth. So that's where Job is saying, I can't take it anymore. I can't take it anymore. But God says, no, you don't. You're only halfway through. And so God tells him, get ready for more. In Job 40, verses 6 through 7, then answered the Lord unto Job out of the whirlwind, and said, gird up now thy loins like a man, and I'll demand of thee, and declare thou unto me. And he goes on for two more chapters. You know, verses 8, 40, verse 8. Will thou also disannul my judgment? Will thou condemn me that thou mayest be righteous? Hast thou an arm like God? Canst thou thunder with a voice like him? Deck thyself now with majesty and excellency. Array thyself with glory and beauty. Cast abroad the rage of thy wrath. Behold everyone that is proud and abase him. Look on everyone that is proud and bring him low and so forth and so forth. So at the completion of the God Alone Clinic course, Job actually graduates. Very good. And so he has a graduation speech, which is for us, Job 42, 1 through 6. He gets up and he's getting his diploma here. And Job answered the Lord and said, I know that thou canst do everything, and no thought can be withholden from thee. Who is he that hideth counsel without knowledge? Therefore have I uttered things too wonderful for me which I knew not. Here I beseech thee, and I will speak. I will demand of thee, declare thou unto me. I have heard of thee by the hearing of the ear, but now mine eye seeth. Wherefore I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. See? Job has been cut down to size. And his graduation speech is, I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. Now Job knows it's just all about God. He knows it's all about God alone. The creation is all about God alone. The covenants are all about God alone. So he passed the course. All right, now we'll go back. Turn to Genesis 9, verse 8. Because this covenant is a little different from the covenant we're reading about in Genesis 6. See, because in Genesis 9, 8, it says, And God spake unto Noah and to his sons with him, saying, And I, behold, I establish my covenant with you and with your seed after you, and with every living creature that is with you, of the fowl, the cattle, and every beast of the earth with you, from all that go out of the ark to every beast of the earth. And I will establish my covenant with you, neither shall all flesh be cut off any more by the waters of a flood. See, that's the covenant. Neither shall there any more be a flood to destroy the earth. That's the covenant. 
And God said, this is the token of the covenant which I make between you, me and you, and every living creature that is with you for perpetual generations. I do set my bow in the cloud. It shall be a token of a covenant between me and the earth. Now, in this covenant, God promised to never destroy the earth again with water. And so he uses the same language in Genesis 9 here as he used in Genesis 6, that behold, I establish my covenant, you know, and so forth. Okay. But this is a different covenant than the one in Genesis 6. Why is the covenant in Genesis 9 different from all other covenants? Okay, why is it? Hope. This one's hope. Well, that was pretty good. Hopeful, too. It's an ark. Okay. This is the point. Because, see, here in this covenant in Genesis 9, there's no action of man involved. See, he just says he's never going to destroy the earth again. He's going to make a covenant with Noah, but Noah doesn't have to do anything. So when you first look at the covenant in uh, chapter 6, and you read some very important words in verse 18 of Genesis 6:18 that are very different from the covenant we just read in Genesis 9, and there are these. But with thee will I establish my covenant, and thou shalt come into the ark, and thou and thy sons and thy wife and thy son's wife with thee. Those are very important words. And then to show also, in the end of this chapter, verse 22 of chapter 6, Genesis 6, it says, Thus did Noah, according to all that God commanded him, so did he. We'll return with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, on Friendship with God in just one moment. Now, our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, is not just a teacher, pastor, scientist, CEO, and 2009 Whistleblower of the Year award recipient winner. He is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries, a Jewish evangelism ministry that has reached millions of lost Jewish people around the world, from the U.S. to South America to Israel, and we've reached them with the gospel and Jewish materials so that they too might be saved. Now, Tom Cantor is a Jewish born-again believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, and we want to reach other Tom Cantors that need to know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. We do that through free gospel gifts and messages that we offer for free. You can help us by supporting this Bible teaching radio program by calling us at 800-247-3051-800-247-3051. When man creates something... He's taking something that already exists and rearranging it to so-called create something. He's not creating something. But God, the creator, he's the only one that actually creates something because, as Irene said, he makes it out of nothing. Job answered the Lord and said, I know that thou canst do everything, and no thought can be withholden from thee. Who is he that hideth counsel without knowledge? Therefore have I uttered things too wonderful for me which I knew not. Here I beseech thee, and I will speak. I will demand of thee, declare thou unto me. I have heard of thee by the hearing of the ear, but now mine eye seeth. Wherefore, I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. So, most of God's covenants are this kind, which are called conditional covenants. They do involve something for a man to do in order for a man to get the benefit. You know, he had to go in the ark. He had to build the ark. And then he had to go into the ark. In the case of the other kind of covenant, which is exampled in Genesis 9, that is an unconditional covenant. Man gets the benefit without doing anything. Man gets the benefit that the earth is not going to be destroyed with water that he is living on again, and man doesn't have to do anything about that. Now, God's new covenant, or the New Testament, new covenant, 
as stated in John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. See, that that last part of that verse, which is God's covenant, requires man to do something. That's the that whosoever believeth on him. That is a conditional covenant. And so it's that it requires a decision by man. You know, we had as part of our statement of uh, beliefs for Israel Restoration Ministries, our goal was, quote, to bring the knowledge of God, which is the Lord Jesus Christ and his commandments, for all to be saved from their sins and from hell, and to bring that to all Jewish people around the world and to persuade them to obey. See? And then we had had several complaints from Jewish people who said that that sounds like we're favoring forcing Jewish people to obey the Lord Jesus Christ. Some of them said stronger words than that. Anyway, so as a result of their comments, we added the phrase at the end, while respecting the dignity of each person to make his own decision. So it reads, to persuade them to obey, while respecting the dignity of each person to make his own decision. Because that's what God's covenants do. They respect the dignity of each person to make his own decision. You know, God didn't say to Noah, you know, get up, Noah, build the ark, you're off a schedule today. And then when the ark was finished, God didn't say, now stand up and I'll push you through the door. He didn't say that. He didn't do that because it was Noah's decision. And God respected the dignity of the decision of those who said they weren't going to go with Noah and they weren't saved. Now, there's a little detail that's so important that it's repeated over and over and over again in verses 18, verses 19, verses 20. A little phrase. What's the phrase? Or the thought repeated in verses 18, 19, and 20 of Genesis 6 in the Bible. <laughs> no, you got to look at it, actually. <laughs> it's at Genesis 18, 19, and 20. Did I say that there? Okay, well, that's, that's another. Then there's a second little thought. <laughs> it's so important, and it, it's, it's this. Genesis 18, come into the ark with thee. Verse 19, keep them alive with thee. Verse 20, come unto thee to keep them alive. That little detail is very, very important. And so it's stated again in Genesis 7, 7. It says, and Noah went in and his sons with him and his sons' wives with him, see, into the ark because of the waters of the flood. What is being emphasized here is that God determined at that time with Noah that if anyone was going to be saved from that flood, he had to come to Noah. If anybody was going to be kept alive, he had to go with Noah. And that's the way that was. God had made Noah chief pin or kingpin. God had made Noah the key for anyone to be saved. If a person said at that time, you know, Noah, I just don't get along with Noah. Yeah, somebody might have said that. Or, you know, Noah, he's just not part of my people. I don't know what people they have, but anyway. Or there's something that I just don't like about Noah as a person. I just can't go to Noah. I just can't go with Noah. Then that person would not be saved. Because this is all about with Noah going to Noah. To be saved, it had to be by going to Noah. To be saved, it had to be by going with Noah. You know, my stepfather was Ezra Goodman, and he had a brother. 
still alive, Eli Goodman. And their father was a book printer in Manhattan, New York City. So growing up, Ezra and Eli loved books. And they both moved out to L.A. together. And Eli today has one of the largest used bookstores uh, in Los Angeles called the Metropolitan Bookstore on Melrose Avenue. And uh, it's an amazing place. I mean, he sleeps there on the books. Eli's an interesting person, never been married. And Ezra became a writer. He loved to interview people and write. He interviewed Humphrey Bogart and Marilyn Monroe and Walt Disney. And then he wrote a book, The 50-Year Decline and Fall of Hollywood, which is a little rough reading, but it's very well written. Anyway, for, for some reason, Ezra loved to swim. And he was a terrific swimmer, and he loved to swim in the ocean. And one day in a morning, Ezra is in San Diego. He went to go swim at the Torrey Pine State Beach. You all know where that is? It's a little bit of rough water down there. For a morning swim, and he used to swim outside the breakers, you know, back and forth. And on that morning, when he was finished swimming back and forth, he looked up, and to his surprise, he was much farther out than he thought he was when he started. So he didn't realize that the current had carried him out. And so he started to swim back. He was tired, but he started to swim back, and he couldn't do it because the current was too strong for him. And so finally, in desperation, what Ezra did is he waves his hands and he yells. And fortunately, there was a lone lifeguard who had been watching Ezra swimming there. And he jumps in the water with his life preserver and he swam out to Ezra and he he pulled him to shore. So that lifeguard really saved Ezra's life. He talked about it. Now, what if when the lifeguard reached Ezra, if Ezra would have said, oh, no, I'm sorry, I don't like you. (laughs) Or if he would have said, you're not part of my people, you're not Jewish. See, what if he had said that? Please send a Jewish lifeguard. Well, there was no other lifeguard, you know, and and there wasn't time to get a decision from the rabbinical council. So (laughs) if he had done that, then he wouldn't have been saved, see? Because there was no other lifeguard to save Ezra. And Ezra, to be saved on that day, it had to be by going to that lifeguard. For Ezra to be saved on that day, it had to be going with that lifeguard. And that's exactly what God is emphasizing in these verses of 18, 19, 20 with the come into the ark with thee, verse 19, keep them alive with thee, verse 20, come unto thee to keep them alive. And it's exactly the case with the Lord Jesus Christ. God makes it very, very clear. And if you like to turn to it, otherwise it's not so long for it. Isaiah 43, 11. Isaiah 43, 11 makes this very, very clear. This verse in Isaiah 43, 11 says, I, even I, am the Lord, and beside me there is no Savior. So if a Gentile person says about the Lord Jesus Christ, I'm sorry, but I just don't like Jewish people, I can't go to the Lord Jesus Christ for that reason, then God will reply the words of Isaiah 43, 11, I, even I, am the Lord, and beside me there is no Savior. If a Jewish person says about the Lord Jesus Christ, I'm sorry, but I was brought up to never say that name. I was brought up seeing Jesus Christ as the God of the Gentile, as the God of the enemies of the Jewish people. I can't go to the Lord Jesus Christ. I can't go to him. Then God would reply with the words of Isaiah 43, 11, I, even I, am the Lord. And beside me there is no Savior, Ezra in the lifeguard. I, even I am the lifeguard, beside me there is no lifeguard. It's the same thing. That's why in John 3.16 it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. 
Beside me there is no Savior. Acts 4.12 says, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Beside me there is no Savior. Just as with Noah before the flood, just as with Ezra at Torrey Pines Beach, that's the way it is for all people today. Only one Savior. And to be saved, it's necessary to go with that one Savior. That's why the Lord Jesus Christ, when he gave the invitation in Matthew eleven twenty eight, he said, Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. The invitation is to come to him. It's to go with him. That's the reason why the Lord Jesus Christ explained the core reason why the Jewish people of his day were not saved was John five forty, where he said, And you will not come to me that you might have life. Imagine if the people in Noah's day had shouted to Noah, we hate you, Noah, that Noah could have yelled back the same words, you will not come to me that you might have life. Imagine again, as you said, if Ezra had said to the lifeguard, I'm Jewish and I only want a Jewish lifeguard, then the lifeguard could have yelled back, you will not come to me that you might have life. And if anyone today says anyone but Jesus, I would rather go to hell than to believe in Jesus. Then the Lord Jesus Christ says to that person, the sad words of John 5.40, you will not come to me, that you might have life. Very, very sobering. Now, there's another angle, and uh, which this will be our last point, we want to consider, and that is the with thee looked at from Noah's point of view. So we looked at the with thee looked at from the lost point of view. Now I'm going to look at it from Noah's point of view. The with these of Genesis 6 and 7. Now, when Noah heard the words in verse 19, keep them alive with thee. And verse 20, come unto thee to keep them alive. Those words were a challenge for Noah. Because Noah was sitting there saying, if I can persuade anyone to come with me, I can keep them alive. So we're sure that Noah worked hard on trying to persuade anyone. Forget about the fact no one did. Just look at Noah. He worked very hard to try to persuade anyone to come to him, anyone to come with him, because no one knew it was a critical matter of life and death. And that became Noah's obsession like it was Paul's obsession. And he talked about it in Romans eleven fourteen. He says, if by any means I may provoke to emulation or make someone jealous, them which are my flesh or Jewish people, and might save some of them. So he was saying, if I can provoke the Jewish people, any Jewish person, to jealousy over the peace of God that I have, of the security, over the knowledge of where I'm going when I die, and so forth, so that they will come with me as I bring them to the Lord Jesus Christ, and they can be saved. And Paul said, I'll do that. And that's why he said in 1 Corinthians 9.22, to the weak became I as weak, that I might gain the weak. And I made all things to all men that I might by all means save some. He says, if I can become anything to anyone so that he'll come with me to the Lord Jesus Christ, I can keep him alive. And I'll do that. And the picture that we have of that challenge to us is when Jacob sees Esau after they've been separated for 25 years. And he comes back and he sees them. He's been with Laban for 25 years. And Esau looks at Jacob and he looks at his family and in Genesis 33, 5, it says, Esau lifted up his eyes and saw the women and children and said, Who are those with thee? And he said, The children which God hath graciously given thy servant. Wouldn't it be wonderful 
for us to go to heaven with those who came with us, who we were able to persuade to come. And the Lord Jesus Christ said the same words to us. Well, who are these? The ones who you gave me, that God graciously has given me, who came with me, that they might save them alive. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this passage here and what it teaches us about we need to see God alone, what it teaches us and challenges us to bring others to keep them alive. Lord, all these things that we've learned this morning, we pray that you would keep them within our hearts and minds and that as they percolate, Lord, in our thoughts, that they would change our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Another wonderful Bible study from our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Just a reminder, if you would like to download this message for free, you can do so on our website, friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, also available on iTunes.com and sermonaudio.com. All there for free listening and free download, but it's there with your support, and we need you to become a monthly supporter if you can. You can call us at 800-247-3051. Now, we also have an opportunity for you to be a full-time missionary working for Israel Restoration Ministries in the Southern California area. We have two open positions, one in San Diego and one in Los Angeles. If you'd like to be a full-time missionary working for Israel Restoration Ministries, you can call us at our 800 number. You can also call us on the 800 number if you'd like to be a volunteer with Israel Restoration Ministries. As a volunteer missionary, you'll bring the gospel to lost Jewish people right in the city where you live, and we can help you to do that with the materials that we have that are geared towards Jewish evangelism. So call us for a full-time position or volunteer position at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051, and join Israel Restoration Ministries, 800-247-3051, or call us to donate. Again, 800-247-3051.